the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour. The following is a public service announcement. Election day is near. Go to the polls and vote. Vote for the Kennedy of your choice, but vote. <laughs> That's right. Tomorrow is the primary election. Be sure and get out. And uh, as I, I said a moment ago, vote early and vote often, as they say in Chicago. But in all seriousness, if there are candidates you haven't had a chance uh, over the last several weeks, we've had many of the candidates that are in contested races in tomorrow's primary on the show. And you can uh, scroll around on our um, archives over the last several weeks and find some of those interviews if you want to do a little bit more homework today. I suspect a lot of people have already mailed their ballots back in, but if you have a ballot and you haven't mailed it yet, one that was mailed to you um, and, and it's filled out and ready to go, it may be too late to mail it today, but you need to uh, get it back to the uh, clerk's office in your local city, township, uh, village, etc. Um, and you can... Uh, Get with them and find out more about polling places for tomorrow if you're planning to vote in person. Anyway, up next, uh, author William Schreiber as we continue with today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. I uh, guess this hour earned the 2019 Rising Star Award from the Women's Fiction Writers Association for his novel Someone to Watch Over. The book was uh, adapted from his original screenplay, um, which is kind of interesting. Usually a book turns into a screenplay, but this is a screenplay turned into a book called Someone to Watch Over by William Schreiber. Uh, he joins me now by phone. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a uh Honored to be here. Thanks for having me on. Is this literally flipping the script? Well, I think <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, I mean, typically, um, you know, 
the books go to the screen, and um, those types of stories, especially uh, character-driven stories like Someone to Watch Over, start as a book that gains a following, and then the film world uh, pays attention to them because they can see that there's an audience with them until a film gets discussed. This one, I grew frustrated, you know, having the screenplay and didn't have source material, which everyone looks for. So I decided in order to get the story out, I would adapt the screenplay into a novel. And I had a great three-act structure outline to work from, and it allowed me to go much deeper and broader into the story. So it was an interesting experience. Um you know, a lot of times people will, you know, talk about, well, I never got around to reading the book. I was waiting for the movie to come out. But uh, uh, was this ever considered for a, a film? Has it been made into a movie? No, it has not been made into a film yet. And it got close on a couple of occasions. Um, but the film world is, is a very fickle place. And... Um, Things can change. Uh, people who may have been a champion of it, you know, leave where they were and they move on to someplace else. Um, it, the screenplay itself, you know, I set out to try and credential it by winning screenwriting competitions around the country, which it did at film festivals in the South and in Vail, Colorado. And it also placed very highly in the Academy's Nickel Fellowship uh, screenwriting program, which is probably the most competitive screenwriting program in the world. Um, this is the folks that you know award the Oscar, and it finished among the top five percent and got some interest. But until it can be packaged, you know, with talent, particularly in a character-driven film like this, where the roles require um, name talent, if you will, who can bring people to the theater, then it makes it a lot more difficult. Um. Yeah, that seems. I. I, I saw that it had uh, done very well with the uh, um, with the Oscar folks as they say um, yeah but uh, that that even begs the question further you know why not a movie why a book and not a movie well from a, from the writer's point of view um, who I'm not a producer per se, which is the person who goes out and raises the money. The, f the film is a lot more expensive to make, obviously, than getting a book made. And so I was driven to get the story out into the world because it's a story that's very important to me. It came from a very uh, personal, emotional place. Um, and I thought it would resonate with other people who are going through some of the same things I experienced because what I experienced is the universal human experience of, of losing my father. And that's where the inspiration for the book came from. And that's where the story of family reconciliation and redemption came from. And so I just wanted to get it out into the world because it, it had been responded to very strongly in the screen and the film world, you know, in the screenwriting competition, obviously it struck a note with people. And so I wanted to take it upon myself to control uh, the destiny of the story and not wait for anyone else to essentially allow me to put the story out. The book is 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 a great way to do that because there's, there's a whole big world for books. The pipe is a lot bigger. The content need is a lot greater. 
and the opportunity is greater. So that's kind of why I did that. Now, you're from Augusta, Georgia, originally, uh, but yeah. grew up in Fort Myers, Florida, and yeah. now yeah. you live in Seattle. How did your story end up in Tennessee? <laughs> well, when I was living, I, I actually wrote the first draft of the screenplay, Living in Athens, Georgia, where my wife and I were, were living. Uh, she was working at the University of Georgia, and I was freelance writing, and we took a vacation a uh, little weekend vacation. We met some friends of ours in Tennessee um, and, you know, experienced some of that part of the state, and, and we knew Georgia. Um, and so that whole area um, is a place in the canvas I'm familiar with. And so um, I set the story there from Tennessee to Florida because it was just an area of the country that I that I knew and was familiar with, Um so that's that's how the Tennessee through Georgia down to Florida weekend trip came into being. You know, I've asked other writers this. Um, can you go someplace without thinking this would be a great place to stage this action or that action? Do you are you always thinking about how to turn something into a story? Always, um, you know, people and places and situations. Um, you see something, uh, a setting or a location that would be a tremendously visual, interesting place and a great backdrop, or you see someone on the street or you overhear a piece of conversation and it gets you wondering about that person's story and how they came to be at that particular point in their life. And, you know, character is all about backstory because the, the ways that we interact with the world are, you know, a result of the experiences we've had. So whenever I go somewhere, there's always an eye to, to story and um, what it might be like to set a story in a particular location because every location uh, has its own character and, you know, its own histories and, and frames of reference to the world. Now, this is uh, being called and considered a debut novel, but you've been writing for a long time what what other kinds of things have you been doing and um was it tough to to change over to a novel from other kinds of writing that you've done um yes i've been uh writing professionally for probably 30 years i went to journalism school at the university of florida and i got a, you know my first job out of uh, college was as uh, an associate editor at uh, Gulf Shore Life magazine in Naples, Florida. And then I was able to become the editor of the University of Florida magazine. And uh, I worked there for five years before transitioning out into the freelance world, where I wrote for publications around the country, predominantly in higher education, but also some general interest uh, publications, including Midwest Living. I did a little piece, a travel piece to Key West for them. Um, so I've always been a writer, and I've always been, um, you know, someone who's interested in, in character, uh, which I learned because in, in college I was a, I was in the feature magazine track, and human interest was always a big uh, interest of mine in terms of writing about people, and so I bring that, you know, into the the writing of the novel and into screen in, into screenwriting as well. Um, so the, the the novel was, 
to me, um, it's pretty exhausting in terms of comparing it to a screenplay, which is very economical writing. Well, well sure, you could spend, what, uh, a half a page or maybe a full page, page and a half, describing an exterior where in the screenplay it says exterior shot of. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, one of the greatest things I ever read was John Steinbeck describing a turtle trying to get out of a ditch in The Grapes of Wrath. And I was just mesmerized by that level of writing. And I, I just, I couldn't believe that for six pages I could be so gripped by this turtle trying to get out of a, out of a ditch. But, but that's one of the things you're right. In screenplays, in a movie, you see the turtle trying to get out of the ditch. Yeah, turtle struggles to get out of ditch. <laughs> and right. Probably yeah. in parentheses. Turtle escapes ditch. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, does that then make a fun challenge to say, how can I, you know... Um, create pictures while I'm telling this story? Yes. Um, I have always been described by people who have read me as a very visual um, storyteller, a very visual writer. And I had the screenplay from which to work, but it allowed me to go much deeper and broader into uh uh, scene setting or place um, and atmospherics, which is what's happening in that place. So it, it was a joy. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was a lot of work as you look for just the right phrase or the right you know, turn of a word to capture what you're seeing. Um, so that's something that I did enjoy about, about bringing the novel over from the screenplay. You know, it's interesting. We always hear about... Um a writer's voice but can a writer have an ear for cadence and and an eye for objects and locations i think you you can i think some people are more born with it than others i think that those can be learned skills um you know learning to listen um learning to pay attention to you know visual textures um, there's a there's a squirrel running across my fence right now, as a matter of fact, you know, playing against the green tree and stuff like that that you notice all feeds into creating a world that you make up, you know, in fiction. Um, I listen to conversations all the time. Um, you know, somebody talking behind me or on the bus next to me, um, just picking up cadences and the way people talk. And dialogue is one of the hardest things. Get, Restaurants you know, are great for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, re I remember once uh, hearing hearing a guy in a restaurant. It was kind of a fine dining place. And he just was bellowing from this table a couple of tables away. And all of a sudden, it was like the noise in the room died down a little bit. And I heard very distinctly, I just hate it in the Bahamas. It's too damn hot. <laughs> I thought it was one of the funniest things I ever heard, Bill. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for sharing that, buddy. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. More with author William Schreiber straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. I was telling you a little while ago about my wife, and I don't want you to be confused, but I've been married more more than once. In fact, I've been married three three times. But my first two wives each died a very tragic death. My first wife died from eating poisoned mushrooms. And my second wife died from a fractured skull. She wouldn't eat her mushroom. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. 
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author William Schreiber straight ahead. Let me let me ask this, and, and I have to ask this, uh, because the title of the book is almost the title of one of my favorite songs, Someone to Watch Over Me. Um, yeah. How, how did you come to that that title and and why not the the recognizable phrase the someone to watch over me well the the story involves four generations of mothers and daughters and they're they're tied together by this thread and um someone to watch over speaks to the Lenny, who is the main character, her need to have someone to watch over her and to have someone to watch over because she carries, you know, a tremendous guilt and regret over the fact that her mother died delivering her. And so she never got to know her mother's love. And on, on the other side of that mother's love is the fact that she was forced to give up her child for adoption as a teen and so she never got to know that mother's love either. And so that's what's really driving her to set out and try to find her child in order to seek forgiveness and to find some redemption because she felt she abandoned the child to the world. And in a way, she felt abandoned to the world by, you know, fate taking her mom on the day she was born. And so someone to watch over, I just thought, was a kind of a broader statement of that notion of we all need someone to watch over and someone to watch over us. Um, it's, it's a great, it's a great title, Bill. I, I, I just, I, it, it yeah. caught my eye right away, but in part because, you know, I'm so fond of that song. Um, yes. And I'm familiar with the song as well. And it, it, it's, it's so deeply touching, isn't it? It is. It's it's um, a little bit haunting, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, maybe maybe a little more than it needed to be, but it's uh, but it's delightful. Um, but but let me let me ask you this: um, you did you've done a lot of assignment writing, and now you know you're building a story from the ground up and and when you're doing assignment writing of course there's creativity involved you try and come up with you know a different way to tell a particular story even when you've been asked to tell that story um mm-hmm. but when you can come up with you know the the story idea from the ground up um is is that a greater responsibility or is it liberating I think it's it's liberating and it's a greater responsibility because um, it, it's liberating in that you get to, you know, make up the story, create the story world, create the story characters, create the scenarios and the relationships. But the responsibility there is to handle it in such a way that it's going to resonate with readers or viewers emotionally and touch them in some way and have them remember the story, you know, long after they finish the book or long after they watch the, the film and walk out of the theater or, or turn off 
the TV or whatever their platform is. So um, the responsibility I feel is to actually try to get people to feel something and to experience the humanity that makes us, you know, who we are. Did you come up with the um, the story first, and and then create characters that might have this this situation um, in their lives, or or was it the other way around? Did you come up with characters and then um, and and then the kind of thing that would happen to them begins to happen as this story unfolds? It started with the very first element of the story started with Lenny's brother, John, who was asked to write and deliver his dad's eulogy. That was asked of me, and I felt overwhelmed and ill-prepared to do it. It was the hardest writing I'd ever done because I realized that, you know, I came into his life when he was 30 years old, and he had a life before I ever entered the picture or my brother and sisters. And so I didn't... I knew him as a dad. I didn't know him as a man. I didn't know what his boys of dreams were. I didn't know if life worked out the way he thought it would. And we always think there'll be time to ask those questions. But, I, you know, I was busy building my own life. And, um, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people experience. And so John sets out to retrace a childhood family vacation in order to try and better understand his dad, which is which is what I did to get into his eulogy. I recalled family vacations that we took with him. And so that's where the story started, was a retracing of a childhood vacation. And then, um, you know, it was a, it was a family. And so there, there was a sibling and Lenny, you know, stepped on to the page and brought the ability to explore both of their lives which went in very different directions um, because of, of their family dynamic. And the story kind of took off from there. And it was driven by Lenny's need primarily. Um, and it happened to parallel with John's need to retrace this trip they had taken to a space launch at Cape, at Cape Canaveral. I, uh, I had a similar experience um Bill, when I had to do uh, the eulogy for my mother uh, a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I, I never did get it written. I, I, I couldn't. It, it was so difficult to write that I literally ran out of time, and I ended up getting up and talking from, you know, a, a dozen bullet points on a typewritten page. I, mm-hmm. I, I was never able to actually craft you know the 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 perfect words i i couldn't do it um i understand i understand it it worked out well it was from the heart and all that but you know mm-hmm. it just i understand when you say that's a, a daunting task because i've experienced that you know a little bit um and you may have already answered the question that i i was going to ask because you um um we were talking a little bit about, you know, story versus characters, but um, and which comes first. But do you do you outline, or did the did the story kind of I don't know write itself when when you were doing the uh, 
the screenplay or is the screenplay enough like an outline that you actually write it as you would an outline well um the screenplay from which the novel came was a writing experience unlike i ever had before or have since i have written probably 17 screenplays and that one came in a burst from beyond me, I believe, and I had a what I call a, a show-shaped draft in nine days, whereas other scripts I've written, you know, can take months to write. So there was, you know, some emotional core was driving me, and uh, I think that that reached the page. And so once once I had that. Um, it's gone through, you know, many iterations since then, you know, fine-tuned and pacing and so forth. But once I had that, it was definitely a solid three-act structure from which to draw the novel, which, um, you know, is based on kind of that same three-act structure. And in... in and, and I, this is kind of kind of funny. It's it again. It's one of those flip the script questions because uh, a lot of people talk about how um, the movie was nothing like the book. Is the book anything mm. like the movie? <laughs> <laughs> the book is a lot like the movie, but um, it's a it's a lot it's a lot deeper and it's a lot more. Uh, it's just so it's it's so much richer, which it's allowed to be on the page. You know, you only have two hours max to tell a film story, and I understand why people like the book better than the film because they've already experienced it in their own head and they know the whole story, and all of that can't necessarily make it in. But you know, one of the great things I discovered in the book that could not make it into the film because I had to, you know, you have to keep pace. And, and keep things moving and you know it's challenging was the fact that Lenny's mom died delivering her which has become a huge part of this book um, in in the film we know that that Lenny that there is no mother in their family of Ben the father John and Lenny but that's it and so in the book you know why there's no there's no mother in that family and she um, is a presence in the book that she's not, that's not in the film. So that's one of the beautiful things about the book writing is that you can go so much broader and deeper and explore more things. And, you know, that's, that's often a challenge in trying to adapt a book to the screen into a screenplay. But because this one started as a screenplay, instead of being reductive it was um expansive but the screenplay that underlies the novel is is still there with all the core story is it is it easier you think to figure out what needs to go in for a book treatment than it is to say what needs to come out for a film treatment in other words is it is it easier to to take a book and adapt it to the screen or take a screenplay and adapt it to a book? Well, I'm talking about the process of, you know, you've got the screenplay, now you've got all this room to work. 
it, can you just go from the screenplay and say, oh, I want to do a lot more on this part or a lot more on this part? Or are there whole sections in the book that, that are just new and, and um, uh, adding to that story as opposed to taking all of that information and saying, what are just the things that we have to show to tell this story in two hours? Well, that's a it's an interesting question. Um, it's it was easier for me to expand out than I think it would be to contract in if the, if the book came first and then the screenplay came because it's it's difficult when you're a novelist and you know the whole story and you know the whole canvas and all the reasons why to have to reduce it down into a a much more condensed. Um, format. Whereas if you go the other way, you get to expand and, and spend more time with your characters and more time with your locations and explore more backstory, which gives the characters more depth and texture. Um, so it's a matter, it's a matter of they're two different, really two different story formats. And it's, it's, um, they they serve two different purposes and they tell a story in two different ways, but you hope to get to the same spot at the end of the day, which is having touched a reader or a viewer. Right, right. Um, with this uh, pandemic that's going on, is this a really tough time to have a debut novel coming out? When, when does the, <laughs> when did or does, I've lost track of time, Bill, so forgive me, when does or did the book drop? Uh, it dropped on May 26th, which was uh, a week ago yesterday, I believe. Okay. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's hard to know. The world is so upside down right now. I mean, on the, on the one hand, it's, people are having to spend you know, time at home and self-isolate, so there's more books that are being read, um, which, is, which is a good thing, you know, on that side of it. But on the other side of it, lives are so disrupted that, you know, reasonably so, people aren't necessarily paying attention to, you know, things like books or entertainment. They're, they're trying to maintain their family lives and deal with children at home and education. So it's, it's hard to say, but... You just, you I, think, know, you I would think, the river. yeah, I would think, Bill, that it would be kind of frustrating to think, oh, wow, you know, the book is published, it's going to be in bookstores, and now people don't get to go to bookstores. <laughs> so you have to rely on <laughs> online purchases and, and hope that, you know, people are are, are browsing the uh, the web looking for new things to read, especially those that... that aren't swamped with family that maybe have a little time on their hands. But there's a lot that goes into, um, after a book is out, you know, getting out and doing book signings and visiting bookstores and, you know, making mm -hmm. public appearances and things. And some of those things are, are not possible to do just yet or they're, they're just right. now starting to come back. But are you looking forward to that part of it? You, for a lot of people, writing is a very solitary thing and that may not be their their favorite part of it. Are are you comfortable with meeting people, especially people who've read the book and getting that kind of feedback? 
Yes, um, I, I am looking forward to it. I think I'm a you know I'm a people type of person. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy listening to their stories. Um, you know, I'm not one that wants to talk about myself the whole time because I find other people have interesting stories to tell, and we all do. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to being able to get out and meet some people who were maybe touched by the story, you know, and it's moved by reading it as I was writing it, and, you know, I look forward to that. Now, do you expect that this will be, you know, a, a one only, or will there be someone else to watch over going forward? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm mulling that over in, in my mind. I mean, I've often thought about, you know, what would Lenny's life be after the book ends and what would her relationship with John be like and, you know, what would what would happen, you know, with the, the Mosleys and the town and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a small town, the foothills of Smoky Mountains. Um, so I'm thinking about that, but I also have some other story ideas, um, you know, based on some other screenplays that I've written and have been well received. And, you know, I have to believe there's something there, too. So I'm, uh, I've got a few sticks in the fire, if you will. Well, I'm always, you know, I'm always curious. Uh, and and I've, I've talked to uh, a number of people who have written uh, trilogies and, and uh, authored uh, Mm-hmm. series uh, books and you know I always wonder you get that first book done if, if there's if there's that moment when you go but wait there's more <laughs> <laughs> there certainly could be more I mean Lenny's you know Lenny's life has been a very interesting and complicated one she's been quite the vagabond and the wanderer as she was trying to find what she was looking for you know from Alaska you know, across the West, um, up, up California, back to Tennessee. And she has experienced a lot. And uh, there's probably a lot in her wake that would be worth exploring, for sure. Well, it sounds, Bill, like like uh, after completing this uh, this novel and getting it out, that uh, that you've got the bug, that, that we're going to be hearing more from you, that, that more books are on the way. Um, is is that fair to say? I think that that's very fair to say. I mean, <laughs> I um, it's you know I I can sit for hours and and focus on writing and you know I I sit I sat in front of a computer for up to twelve hours at a time and just get completely lost and I lose track of time. My wife often wonders, you know, how can you how can you do that for so long? And what I said to her that kind of resonated with her and then she finally got it i said well writing and emoting and expressing is like breathing to me i have to do it to you know to survive and to, to live the life that that i am so yeah i will i will continue to write and i look forward to you know writing future books and and films and and see where things go well, Bill, it's been absolutely delightful talking with you, and, and I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, uh, the the book is, is out and available where all great books are sold. Uh, it is called Someone to Watch Over by William Schreiber. Uh, but, Bill, um, do you have a website? I do, yes. It's williamschreiber.com. 
And William, and then Schreiber is S C H R E I B as in boy E R dot com. And and you'll have and posts up there for different things you're doing and and different projects as they as they come along. Yes, yes, yes absolutely. And I also have a, a presence on Goodreads, which is a big online reading community. Oh yeah. Um, it, William Schreiber, author, is my Goodreads uh, name. I guess it's called. Yeah, good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Well, yeah. Bill, thanks so much for spending this time with me. I appreciate it very much, and best of luck with the book. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care. You too now. Bye-bye. That was uh, Bill Schreiber, or William Schreiber, it'll say on the book cover. Someone to Watch Over is the name of the book, and uh, adapted from a screenplay, which is kind of a switch. And uh, speaking of switches, we have to switch gears now. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad transmittable and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, we've got a few messages coming up, and we'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program right after this. Hey! 
Yeah. This is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates. Social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacle that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I played football for Temple University, and it's the truth, see? Don't keep asking me, did you really play? Yes, I really played. At one time, I had a beautiful body. I weighed, uh, I weighed 192 pounds, and they made me a fullback. Now, before you start tuning up, let me get my story finished. No, the truth of the matter is that uh, it didn't take much to play for Temple at the time that I was playing because we had lost 27 games in a row. And uh, we played against real weak teams. I mean, teams like uh, Muhlenberg, Lafayette, um, what's it, Gettysburg, yeah. They all beat us. They all killed us, especially Hofstra. Hofstra beat us 900 to nothing in their street clothes, man. They wiped us out. Vassar wouldn't even play us. That's how bad we were, man. Get out of here. We don't even want you on our schedule. So I'm going to give you some insight as to what goes on in a loser's locker room. We're going to play against Hofstra, which is a really terrible school. They killed us every year, boy. And when you play for a team like Temple, you got nothing to do except pace up and down in the locker room. And you say to yourself, boy, I sure do hope I don't get hurt. I almost made a tackle last week. I must have been crazy out there or something. Nobody else is trying out there. I don't know why I got to be the one all the time. I play on the second team, which is actually the nut squad. Now, these are guys that can play, but they're afraid. They don't want to go out there, so they do nutty things. Like they put the helmet on sideways, looking out through the ear hole. <laughs> guys got on scuba diving suits, snowshoe and an ice skate, you know, walking around. <laughs> second team is very quiet because they're going to go out, scared to death. That's what they are. Catholics on the squad always seem to have something special going because they're over in the corner. Dominoes, Father, please, Dominoes. I'm not Catholic, but I figure if it works for him, yeah, me too, Father. He's a friend of mine. He told me how to do this. Here, please accept me. And we're pacing up and down. First team's getting last rights. And we're going. The coach is drawing trick plays on the blackboard because he has no personnel whatsoever and he knows he's got to work with something that'll trick him. You know. All right, you guys, listen up. Uh, when they come out of the huddle, line up backwards. <laughs> and just let them run right over you and then we'll raise the flag and everything while you're singing the national anthem, all right? We'll get pity somewhere, I'll tell you that. Then comes the athletic director. He says, I'd like to talk to the boys. What? I'd like to talk to the boys. Okay. May I have your attention, please, fellas? This is uh, the athletic director, Mr. Ernie Cassell. It's the man that's responsible for giving most of you the scholarships. <laughs> He'd like to talk to you, Mr. Cassell. Thank you very much, Coach Macris. Well, boys, here we are again. 
I'm gonna go out and have another fine football game. I'm gonna go out and play against Hofstra, because you already know that. You know, they beat us last year 900 to nothing. The year before that, they beat us 900 to nothing. I was over in their locker room, had a chance to look at some of their players, and Christ, they're bigger than they were last year. <laughs> yes, yes, I know, I know. Fellas, I looked out in the stands, we only have 12 people out there. And this is homecoming. Just want to say a few words to you. This is our first game on television. We want to keep this television contract going because this is the only way we can make some money to buy little scuba diving suits and uh, snowshoes and ice skates for all the weird old squads here. So we're gonna say to you, please, remember that you're on TV. By that I mean, don't worry about winning the game as much as we want you to be concerned with the fact that while you're out there on the field, we're gonna ask you, please, do not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on a the football field. Because if you're out there digging and scratching, the people at home are gonna turn you right off and we're gonna lose the contract. So please, do not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on the field. Now we're gonna pass out these affidavits and ask you to sign them, saying that you will not touch certain areas of your body while you're out there on a football field, all right? So we signed them and we went out, you know, and I'm with the second team and <laughs> First team's got the ninth time for last right, Hofstra came out of the locker room. I had never seen guys so big before in my life. They had just brought 11 guys with them. Smallest guy on the squad was 6'1", 490 pounds. It was a halfback. Ran 109-1, had long teeth hanging out of his mouth. Every one of them just had one eye in the center of the forehead. The coach was beating them out onto the field with a ball and chain, hitting them smack in the back of the head. Get out of here! Go on, Igor. What's good, Igor? First team said, oh, God, don't look at him. If you don't look at him, you won't get scared. Second team went crazy. Guys are ripping their clothes off. I can't play naked. I swear I heard one temple guy on the ground say, can we get up now? No, you move, I'll punch you right in the mouth. So help me, get out of here. We carry him off, the coach, all right, get out there, second team, let's go. We got a quarterback that's 2-1. All right, run the kamikaze play on one, all right, kamikaze. Cosby up the middle, the whole team off the field. Break! We break out of the quarterback goes up and says, ship, one, two, ping, gives me the ball. I take one step and I look and there's a hole. And I had never seen a hole <laughs> playing for Temple. And I said, God, a hole. <laughs> I turned to the people in the stand, look at this, a hole, you see this? Yeah, hurry up, run. 
on, I said, wait a minute, it may be a mirage. <laughs> you can't tell. I said, well, I better get moving, I'll never forget it. There was a big hole with a defensive man on the ground. I planted one foot, stepped over him. When I did, he stood up and hit me. <laughs> and the pain was tremendous. And I threw down the ball and I said, oh. I've been hit in the... You'd better not touch any areas of your body while you're on the football here. So I grabbed my head. And I said, oh, yes, what's your matter? I said, I can't take nothing until they bring a commercial on, all right? Thank you and good night. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Now warming up for football season with a little Bill Cosby there to wrap up today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Thanks to all my guests today, including uh, William Schreiber this last hour, Linda Olson uh, a little earlier, and of course starting out this morning we had, um, with us if I can remember back that far, we had Catherine Stewart. What a great show. And we've got some more authors coming up tomorrow. Remember tomorrow is the uh, August 4th primary. A lot of decisions going to be made tomorrow. So if you haven't mailed in a ballot and you're uh, planning to get out and uh, vote in person, check with your uh, local clerk. Make sure your uh, particular polling places are open. They may be a little bit different because of all the mail-in voting and, uh, you know, because, well, COVID. Anyway, uh, coming up tomorrow on the big broadcast should be an interesting one. We're going to talk with, um, and I'm not even sure if I can say this name right, but I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, she is the author of the Puala uh, Santiago series. She has a new book called River of Tears. Her name is Taylor K. Mejia, I believe. Um, Anyway, it's part of the Rick Riordan Presents series. She's going to be joining me tomorrow. Plus, we're going to talk with um, Debbie Irving, who's been on the show many times. She wrote the book Waking Up White. And uh, we're also going to talk with uh, Marguerite Pennick Parks. And the two of them are uh, part of the, the team that founded the 21-Day Racial Equity Habit Building Challenge. And we're going to find out what that is and who it's for. And we're going to talk with uh, Laura Gomez from UCLA about a, uh, a new story of uh, American racism called Inventing Latinos. Anyway, that's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow morning with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program right at 9 o'clock. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. 
If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.